Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira. And listen, I was flipping through a book exchange group I'm in on Facebook and I came across a book called Cruel Sacrifice. I read it and I was so shocked. It is about the murder of 12-year-old Shonda Scherer at the hands of four teenage girls between the ages of 15 and 17. It took place in Madison, Indiana in 1992, and I was so shocked about this crime that I knew I had to talk about it. So before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer podcast. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Um, do not forget about the Facebook and Instagram. Storytime Slayer is Facebook. And story underscore time underscore slayer is Instagram. I'm getting a little bit better at getting back on Instagram, guys. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get started. I do feel the need to warn you that this is a kidnap, torture, murder. It is a brutal, heinous crime that took place over several hours. So that is your warning Let's get started. I'm going to give you a very short backstory on who each girl is, how all the kids are acquainted, and then we're going to dive into the crime. So the victim was Shonda, and she was your typical 12-year-old girl. Her parents had divorced for a couple years, so she lived in Louisville with her mom, and that is where she spent the fifth and sixth grade. During those years, she was a really good student, very involved in school activities. She did cheer, volleyball, and softball. Then when her mom got divorced from Shonda's stepdad, Shonda and her mom moved to Indiana, which was closer to where Shonda's father lived. She was initially enrolled in a public middle school, but when she got involved with a group of kids, her grades were dropping. She wasn't doing school activities, and so Shonda's parents put her in a private school. The reason that Shonda was not thriving in school was due to a love triangle she'd gotten stuck in. See, Shonda liked boys and girls, and she liked a girl named Amanda. Amanda was a couple years older than Shonda, and Amanda was very butchy. Most of the parents, when they first met Amanda, actually thought Amanda was a boy. So Amanda had a very complicated relationship with another 15-year-old girl named Melinda Loveless. Okay, so basically, Amanda and Melinda had secretly been dating about a year before Shonda moved to town. And it was all just in the timing of things, because when Amanda began to lose interest in Melinda and the relationship, it was because Melinda was awful. Melinda had terrible mood swings and bouts of depression. She would be considered a raging bitch when she got in a bad mood. Melinda even became physically and sexually aggressive and abusive to Amanda on a few occasions. It sounded like a very unhealthy, tumultuous relationship. However, Amanda did not just straight up cut things off with Melinda. She began to slowly pull out of the relationship. It just happened to be that around the same time Melinda and Amanda are growing apart, Shonda comes to town, okay? And Amanda takes a liking to Shonda. And next thing you know, Amanda is torn between Shonda and Melinda. Wow. Okay, so Melinda did not take that well. Melinda would make fun of Shonda all the time. Okay, she threatened to hurt Shonda on many occasions. Melinda did everything to try and win Amanda over. So like Melinda would cry 
threaten Amanda, do anything to get Amanda's attention, right? Like, very manipulative. She would act like she was completely devastated over something, like involving maybe her dad or just somebody else, right? So you'd have this, like, just earth-shattering, sad thing happen, and she would be like, I really need a friend right now, Amanda. Listen, Melinda was pulling out all the stops, y'all. But when none of that worked... Melinda tried dating other people to make Amanda jealous, and let's just say that didn't work either. So months go by, and Melinda is pretty sure Amanda was secretly dating Shonda, and that's true. As soon as Amanda started to pull away from Melinda, she did spark up a little flirtation with Shonda, and the next thing you know, Shonda and Amanda did start secretly dating. But Amanda would not admit it to Melinda and I think it's because one she probably still enjoyed the attention and two she really didn't want to deal with Melinda just like going crazy and being a bitch this is what's going to go on and make Melinda hate Shonda enough to want her dead okay so that is the love triangle between Amanda Melinda and Shonda now the crime takes place Friday January 10th 1992 when Melinda Loveless, Hope Rippey, Tony Lawrence, and Lori Thackett were hanging out. And now I'll tell you a little bit about each girl involved. Okay, let's start with Hope Rippey. She was the youngest of four kids. And when this took place, she was only 15. She'd never had academic or behavioral issues. She had a very stable life. Um, she would volunteer twice a week with her friend Tony at the elderly home. And she's definitely someone who got involved with the wrong people because she's just your typical teenage girl. No problems or red flags at all from her that she would be involved in what I'm going to tell you about. Now, Tony, her friend, was also the youngest of four kids. And she was either 15, I think she was almost 16 at the time of this crime. And Tony wasn't a rebel or a bad student either for most of her life. She was just kind of spoiled. She refused to ride the bus and was constantly late to class without a care in the world. But Tony was just like Hope, um, a typical teenage girl with no behavioral issues until she turned 14. See, when she was 14, she was raped by a classmate, and it just changed something inside of her. She became really promiscuous and partook in self-harm and drinking. By the way, self-harm was a big thing in this inner circle of friends. Um, a lot of their mutual friends engaged in self-harm also. I mean, this is like a 90s grunge group, guys. Now, Lori, Lori was a newer friend to this group, and she was the oldest. She was 17 and had a car. Lori had known Hope. Um, Lori and Hope had a sister-like bond, but it wasn't Hope who directly introduced Melinda to Lori, and that was where the fire met the gasoline, right? So Lori wasn't immature. Um, she was a pretty quiet loner type most of her life. Lori had grown up Pentecostal, and she really, really hated that. So Pentecostalism is a form of Christianity, and the women cannot be flashy in any way, shape, or form. They're the ones that do the no jewelry, no makeup, no haircuts, no pants. They always wear their really long skirts. Um, and they are the pit of snake churches. They speak in tongues, and they get really wild. And I found it interesting, but... The reason that they do that is because they believe in a direct experience with God through themselves and that you can't have the direct experience with God through just thought or meditation. 
So Lori hated that lifestyle. She hated the way that they had to dress and act. And Lori got to where she wanted to rebel completely from the Pentecostal life. So at 14, she refused to go to church anymore. And she started wearing pants and not plain colored clothing. She wanted to be the polar opposite of a Pentecostal. So she got into witchcraft and she would hold seances, do tarot card and stone readings. Um, She played with Ouija boards. And not only did she take a religious rebellion nosedive, she also started drinking really heavily and developed this vampire fascination. I'm getting serious Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes. Um, She would even lick and suck blood from her cuts and scrapes as well as other people's. She definitely engaged in self-harm practices like cutting herself. But then Lori became unstable. She would sometimes get a really funny look in her eyes and even attack her dad, like physically, like jump on him, scratching and acting wild. Um, Next thing you know, leading up to the leading up to the brutal crime, um, she started to fail school. She was becoming more reclusive and having really scary fantasies about wanting to kill somebody. This girl was just a hot mess. Her friends said that she'd pretend to go into a trance-like state and zone out and make weird noises and ha ha ha, fake laugh and stuff like that. And when they did witchcraft, they totally knew Lori was faking a lot of the way she acted. So what happened is Melinda and Lori met each other at the worst possible time in their lives. Uh, Melinda had a rough-ass childhood. Her dad was an abusive, controlling, manipulative, sexual predator with a drinking problem and a completely unstable personality. He would emotionally, physically, and sexually abuse all three of his daughters and his wife. It took Melinda's mom years too late to divorce him. Okay, not to get stuck on like Melinda's dad, but he was a child molester. He would even do things like wear his wife and kids underwear and masturbate wearing them and they would like walk in on him doing this he'd also sniff their panties right in front of them and he would stick his hand in melinda's mom's pants and smell his fingers right in front of his kids and all their friends and be like "Ooh," and stuff like that okay so despite the fact that melinda's dad was awful um she was super attached to him So when her parents got divorced, her dad, Larry, moved away and got remarried like really quickly. And it totally crushed Melinda. And this is when her mood turned dark and she would cry in her room with a record on repeat for hours. She was like very emotionally unstable. And it's around this same time that her dad leaves that she meets Amanda. And by the way, it was toward the end of Melinda and Amanda's relationship when Melinda starts drinking and hanging out with a darker crowd. She meets Lori at this time, and she's just an emotional wreck. So Lori and Melinda are two hot-ass messes that just met at the wrong time in their lives. So let's get to what they did. It is Friday, January 10th, 1992, when four friends, Hope, Tony, Lori, and Melinda, are on their way to a rock concert. And Melinda had been bitching for days leading up to the concert about wanting to beat up Shonda and came up with a plan to actually beat her up and scare her the night of the concert. Of course, Lori was down because Lori was really almost demonic. Um, She wanted to beat somebody up. She wanted to taste blood. She wanted to hurt somebody. So the plan was that Tony and Hope would go up to Shonda's door. By the way, Shonda does not know Hope, Tony, or Lori. Only Melinda knew Shonda. Okay, 
So the plan is that they were going to go up to Shonda's door, Hope and Tony, and when she came to the door, they would say that they were friends with Amanda and Amanda wanted to see her. So let's not forget, people, the year is 1992. House phones are the way of communication, and Shonda's parents had put the kibosh on the Amanda relationship. They changed Shonda's school and cut off communication, so Amanda couldn't just call up Shonda and be like, hey, meet me here. Um, They spoke through mutual friends and secret notes, and that explains the unusual ruse to lure Shonda out of the house. What's kind of funny, though, is when Tony and Hope knocked on the door to get Shonda, she answered the door, and her parents were kind of like, I think, in the living room behind her, and they were like, hey, is Shonda here? And she was like, I am Shonda, and Shonda's dad was like really, just thought that was really bizarre, so he wouldn't let her go. He tells her no, and so Shonda tells Hope and Tony, just come back later, and I'll sneak out. So disappointed, the four girls decide they're going to go ahead and drive on to this concert that they were supposed to go to anyway. So when they get to the concert, Melissa and Lori actually go in and enjoy the concert for a while, while Hope and Tony stayed in the parking lot and hooked up with a couple of guys. Okay. Melissa and Lori were done with the concert, and Tony and Hope were done with the boys. They all loaded back up into Lori's car and drove back to Shonda's house. And the plan was for Tony and Hope to go back up to Shonda's house and lure her out to the car. But at this point, Tony refused. Um, For one, she didn't want to get out of the car because she was cold and she was really scared about what was going to happen to Shonda. So Tony's like, "Uh -uh, I'm not I'm not participating. So Lori reluctantly agrees and Hope and Lori go up to Shonda's house to fetch her. And it was actually really easy to get Shonda's attention that late at night because somebody else had snuck over to talk to Shonda and that person had literally just walked away as Hope and Lori were walking up to the house and Shonda was still outside. In the car, Tony helps Melinda hide under a red blanket with a knife. Yeah, Melinda had a knife and Melinda said that the knife was just to scare Shonda. So Tony covers her up with the blanket and then she literally throws like a few pieces of old clothes that were in Lori's car and some trash on top of the blanket so it just looks like a big pile of shit in the car like that's not weird so Lori Hope and Shonda all get in the car Shonda has no idea Melinda's hiding under a blanket Hope's driving and they're going to go to an abandoned castle known as the Witch's Castle in Indiana. There's an old legend that says three witches founded Utica, Indiana and lived in the castle together But the townspeople were really afraid of them, so they actually killed the witches and buried them in their own cellar in the castle. So they told Shonda Amanda was waiting for her there at the witch's castle. And Shonda was completely unsuspecting. Um, She really thought they were there to pick her up and take her to see Amanda. They're all riding along and having small talk when one of the girls asked Shonda how long Shonda and Amanda had been secretly dating. And Shonda, totally unsuspecting, is like, oh, four months. And they ask her if her and Amanda went to the dance in the haunted house together. And she said yes. And meanwhile, Melinda is hiding under this blanket and she's getting pissed. She's getting so mad because Amanda had lied to uh, Melinda about all those things. She told her that she didn't go to the dance with Shonda. She didn't go to the haunted house with Shonda. She wasn't dating Shonda. And so these things just really get underneath Melinda's skin and she pops out 
from under the blanket and she yells surprise and she has the knife and Shonda was immediately afraid immediately began crying and begging Melinda not to hurt her and Melinda's like I just want to talk they get to the witch's castle and park the car and Lori gets on one side of Shonda grabbing her arm and Melinda on the other and they force her into what's called the witch's castle I'm going to post pictures of the witch's castle on Storytime Slayer. So then Lori and Melinda tie Shonda's wrists and ankles up. And Melinda begins just like verbally attacking everything about Shonda. Like the way she looks, her hair, her clothes, her shoes, everything. And in the meantime, Hope is scaring Shonda with the knife that Melinda brought. And she actually forces Shonda to take her jewelry off. Then they go get a shirt from the car with a smiley face on it. And they actually burned the shirt and told Shonda, that's what we're going to do to you. That's what you're going to look like. But then several cars drove by. So the girls got really scared. And Lori suggested that she knew somewhere more secluded that they could go to. So this time Hope drives. Tony's in the front seat with Hope. And Shonda is stuck between Melinda and Lori in the back seat. But the girls realize that they need to get gas and they're lost. So they need to find a gas station. And it's actually Shonda who gives them directions to a gas station, which I thought was really sad. So Tony and Hope are the only ones who get out at the gas station. Um, Lori and Melinda had covered Shonda up with the red blanket so nobody could see her. And one of the girls pumped gas while the other girl stopped to flirt with some boys at the gas station. Like, didn't even casually mention they were kidnapping anybody, right? So anyway, they all get back on the road, but they get lost again and had to stop at a second gas station to figure out directions back to Madison, Indiana. It's an hour drive where they were at to get to where Lori was taking them. And Lori started acting really weird on this long drive. So she was having like all this different emotionally charged reactions. She would like evil laugh, cry, scream. She was just acting like a really emotionally unhinged person. They get to a gravel road and that road travels just past Lori's house. And then a couple miles down, it turns into a dirt road, which leads to a garbage dump site slash garbage burn site. And all the girls get out of the car. Tony stops to give Shonda a hug and tells her that she's like really sorry. And then Tony asks Melinda to please just stop all this nonsense and take Shonda home, to which Melinda refuses. So Hope and Tony are like, we're just going to get in the car and wait and we'll just watch from here. Mind you, it is January in Indiana. There is a layer of frost over everything. And Melinda and Lori make Shonda get out of the car, like I said. They're standing next to this burn dump pile, and they make Shonda take off all of her clothes and throw her clothes in the car. Then Lori holds Shonda's hands behind her back while she's naked and encourages Melinda to hit her. Shonda is crying and begging them to stop, but Melinda starts beating the shit out of Shonda instead. Then Lori and Melinda both tried holding Shonda down while Melinda attempted to cut her throat. But the knife was too dull. Melinda even tries using her foot for added pressure, but nothing was working. So Hope hops out of the car so that she can help hold Shonda down. And next, you know, Melinda is sitting on Shonda's legs. Lori is on the young girl's chest. I'm not sure where Hope is, what she's holding down. But they are holding Shonda down so that Lori can try to strangle her. 
unable to do this, Melinda then hands Lori a rope to put around Shonda's neck, and together the two girls pulled and held it until Shonda passed out. Next, Lori, Melinda, and Hope moved Shonda into the trunk. So the girls all go to Lori's house, and it was only a couple miles away from this dump site. While they're inside Lori's, they're grabbing a two-liter of Pepsi, and they're just kind of sitting and talking. When meanwhile, Lori's dog starts barking, and if you listened closer, you could hear the muffled screams coming from Lori's trunk. Lori, though, says she'll go handle this on her own, and so Lori grabs a paring knife from the kitchen and opens the trunk, stabbing Shonda several times, then shutting the trunk on her and going inside to wash off all the blood from her hands. At this point, it's 2.30 in the morning, and Lori suggests that they should go out driving. Um, Hope and Tony do not want to go. They want to just go to bed. And so they stay at Lori's and go to sleep while Lori and Melinda leave with Shonda in the trunk. Guys, there is no plan here, folks, okay? No plan. In fact, Lori and Melinda drive back to the dump pile and we're arguing about what they should do with Shonda's body when the girl starts kicking and screaming and hitting the trunk. They got her to quiet down and the official plan was that they would just drive around and wait for her to slowly die. They figured she was on the brink of death and that she would die soon. But after some time passed, Shonda starts kicking and screaming in the trunk again. So Lori stops the car and this time she gets out by herself. She opens the trunk and she starts punching Shonda over and over. And then she grabs a tire iron. And this is really sad, but she bashes Shonda's head in with it. And at this point, I think the girls for sure thought Shonda would die. So Lori does that. She shuts the trunk. She gets back in the car and they drive around for a little while longer until they decide to pull over and see if Shonda's finally dead. She, in fact, was not dead. Okay, which makes me so sad. This has been going on for hours now. When they went to go check on Shonda in the trunk, she actually sat up. Her eyes were rolling into her head and she was completely covered in blood. Everything was bloody. It was blood and legs. That's all you could see. You could not even make out her blonde hair color anymore. And the hardest thing is that she sat up. Her eyes are rolling back into her head and she says, Mommy. At this point, Melinda and Lori just shut her back in the trunk and keep driving. Um, Shonda was kicking and banging a couple times, but she wasn't screaming anymore. In fact, it was almost like she was in a zombie-like state. The only noise that was coming out was a gurgle. So it is sunrise. Shonda's still in the trunk. Melinda and Lori don't know what to do, so they go ahead and go back to Lori's house for a while. Um, Tony and Hope wake up when Melinda and Lori get there and they asked what happened. So Lori and Melinda are like anxiously and excitedly retelling the whole story um, while they're washing blood off of them. While Melinda and Lori are laughing and bragging, Lori's parents wake up and dude, her parents were like, what is going on? Lori, why were you out past curfew? Why did you bring all these girls home? What is going on? Her mom is so annoyed. She basically tells her like, dude, get your friends and take them home. And Lori agreed, but she told her mom, okay, but it's going to take a minute because we got to go get something to eat. We're hungry. We're going to go to McDonald's. All four girls are loaded back into the car and they decide to drive out to the dump pile near Lori's again, the one that they stripped Shonda at. And Lori and Melinda took Shonda out of the trunk to show the other girls what they did to her. 
but Tony refused to get out and look. Hope got out and Hope took a bottle of Windex that Lori had in the trunk and sprayed all of Shonda's open wounds. Then they put Shonda, who is still alive, back into the trunk because Hope said she knew somewhere that they could burn Shonda's body. So that's the plan. They're going to burn Shonda's body, but first they need to go get some gasoline. So they load Shonda back into the trunk. The girls go to the gas station. They buy a liter of Pepsi that Lori then dumps out and pumps full of gasoline. Hope then gives Lori directions to a more rural area, which is about eight miles outside of Madison, Indiana, by a cornfield. And when they get there, everyone but Tony again gets out of the car. They open the trunk and pull Shonda out. Next, they wrap her in a red blanket. It's the same red blanket that Melinda hid under when this whole ordeal started. Shonda is holding on to the blanket really tight, just holding on for dear life, but she is not making a single sound. So they wrap her up in the blanket and they put her on the ground and Hope poured most of the gasoline onto Shonda's body all over and she was quickly lit on fire. None of the girls will cop to who actually lit her on fire, but as soon as she caught fire, the three girls jumped in the car and they sped off. But before they could even make it to the next intersection, Melinda wanted to turn around and make sure Shonda's body was burned enough. She even had a little bit of gasoline left that she wanted to pour on her just to make sure. So they turned around, Melinda gets out of the car, and she pours the rest of the gasoline onto Shonda's already smoldering body. So the gasoline created a new flame, and that satisfied Melinda enough that they could leave again. And this is ultimately what killed Shonda, immolation, which means death by burning. It's now 9.30 Saturday morning, and the girls go to McDonald's. Then Lori drops off Tony and Hope. Lori and Melinda go back to Lori's house and asked if Lori could stay the night with Melinda. Lori's mom reluctantly says yes. And then Lori and Melinda go to the car wash. They completely spray down the trunk because it was covered in Shonda's blood. And then a little time passes and they decide they should call and check on Hope. And Hope was a complete mess. So they decide to go to her house and they just like sat and calmed her down and watched TV with her until her mom and her baby sister came home. So it's about 3 p.m. when Lori and Melinda finally make it to Melinda's house. And the next thing they do is Melinda calls her best friend Crystal and told her that she had to come over. And once Crystal got there, Lori and Melinda laughed and bragged and gave Crystal every horrid detail about everything that transpired that night with Shonda. And at first, Crystal didn't believe it. But then Lori showed Crystal the knife, and she was like, okay, I believe it. Does she leave? No. Does she contact anybody? No. She just hangs out with Melinda and Lori. So next, Melinda called over to Amanda and asked if she could pick up Amanda from the mall, and she really needed to talk to her. I need a friend is probably what she said. So Amanda reluctantly agrees. And once they pick up Amanda and take her back to Melinda's, Melinda gives Amanda a full confession of what she did. And Amanda didn't believe it. Okay, so Melinda and Lori show Amanda the water and blood soaked trunk in Lori's car. And once Amanda saw that, she immediately was like, take me home. I want to go home. So they drop her off. Now, does Amanda tell anybody? No. In the meantime, while Lori and Melinda are making all these confessions to people, Hope was feeling better, and so her and Tony went to hang out at the bowling alley. 
being just kids, they decided that they're going to talk to someone about the murder and what happened. And that person said, hey, you know, that body was found and you need to get a hold of an attorney. And so they actually, whoever this bystander is at the bowling alley, gives Hope and Tony the name of a defense attorney and says, hey, you need to call them and get some help. So just feeling really awful and torn about the whole thing, um, Tony and Hope ultimately go to Hope's house and they give a full confession to Hope's parents about what happened. And then Hope and her parents went with Tony to Tony's house where they told Tony's parents what happened also. So let's sidebar for one second. That morning, Saturday, January 11th, 1992, Shonda's dad woke up and realized that Shonda was nowhere to be found. Um, he tried to stay calm. He said that he remembered he woke up at like 4.30 in the morning. He just like got up to check the doors and make sure they were locked. And one of their side doors wasn't. And he said that he locked it and then went back to bed. So when he got back up at 7, he was like, oh my gosh, maybe she was out. Like she snuck out and I locked her out. So he gave her a little bit of time. But he did ultimately panic and file a missing person report at 1.40 p.m. That same morning, Saturday, January 11th, the same day that Shonda's missing person report was filed, two brothers found Shonda's remains on the side of the road. And the crime was so heinous that the police thought this was potentially mob-related. Her body was so badly beaten and burned. So, let's fast forward again. It's that same night, Saturday, January 11th. It's around 8 p.m. at night when Tony, Hope, and all... Four parents go to the police station for Tony and Hope to give a very chaotic confession about what transpired that night. And they actually tell police the burned body was the body of 12-year-old Shonda. And next, they tell the police everything that happened to her. So police pull dental records to confirm that, yes, that body was of Shonda. And something to point out was two things that none of the girls confessed to, but that the police are adamant about. So one... Shonda's body was posed with her butt up and sticking out as if to make her look bad by the killer, like a humiliation thing. And two, Shonda had numerous cuts in the anus indicating something was forcibly stuck up her butt repeatedly. The police decide they definitely have enough to arrest Melinda and Lori after the confession that Hope and Tony gave. So at about 2.30 in the morning, they go to Melinda's. And Melinda's mother, Marjorie, lets the police in where they present an arrest warrant for both Lori and Melinda. And Melinda's mom was shocked. She was so shocked. She thought, no way. This is just a misunderstanding. She didn't realize the gravity of the situation at first. Melissa and Lori get arrested. And it is Sunday morning that the two girls are questioned by police. And you know what? They immediately said that Lori seemed to be like, pretty normal, pretty intelligent. She was definitely playing with a full deck of cards, but Melinda was very immature and um, not very smart at all. Melinda and Lori ultimately give somewhat of a confession to the police about what happened, and the police decide with the prosecutor that they were going to try all four teenage girls as adults for murder, criminal confinement, criminal conduct, aggravated battery, arson, intimidation, and battery with a deadly weapon. Now, it was on April 20th that the prosecutors made a plea agreement with Tony, and Tony could plead guilty to criminal confinement, which held a sentence of 6 to 20 years, 
in exchange for her testimony. She wrote an eight-page written confession and was ultimately sentenced to 20 years, but with good behavior, she was released in 2000, and she only had to serve eight years. Hope Rippey was sentenced to 60 years, but it was immediately reduced to 10 for mitigating circumstances, but they gave her a 10-year probation upon release. However, Hope won an appeal that reduced her sentence to 35 years, and she was actually released from prison in April of 2008 and only served 14 years of her sentence, and she got off of supervised probation in 2011. I thought it was really interesting that Hope went on the um, Dr. Phil show to talk with Shonda's mom. And Shonda's mom said something really interesting. She was like, you know, you can say that you're so sorry and blah, blah, blah. But if you really cared about how I felt as the victim's family, you wouldn't have gotten out of prison early. And I was like, damn, she's got a point there. 14 years is not enough. So Melinda and Lori both received 60 year sentences. Um, Lori got released for parole on the 26th anniversary of Shonda's death, January 11th, 2018. And Melinda was released the following year, September 15th of 2019. It was during Melinda's trial, a lot of witness testimony brought to light the horrible abuse that Melinda, her sisters, and other kids endured at the hands of her father, Larry. So Larry, based off of the testimony, he was actually charged with sex abuse crimes and held in jail for two years while awaiting trial. But unfortunately, the statute of limitation prevented any real legislation. Larry did jump in front of a bus and kill himself December of 1998. While she was in prison, Melinda did the dog training program, which I thought was really interesting. And Shonda's mom actually donated a dog each year for Melinda to train in Shonda's honor. So the girl stuck between Melinda and Shonda's name was Amanda Hebron, and she did not receive any charges. Um, she said that the reason she didn't tell anyone when Lori and Melinda dropped her off at home about Shonda was because she didn't really know what to think about the confession. She hadn't heard of a body being found or Shonda being dead, and she just says that she didn't know if it was true or not. Now, Shonda's family have publicly spoken out against Amanda. They have a real disdain for her because she had so much prior knowledge of Melinda wanting to hurt Shonda. They thought that Amanda was like way too old to have even been bugging Shonda and Amanda should have just left Shonda alone and out of all of this. As for Shonda's father, I thought this was awful. He drank himself to death. He ultimately died of alcoholism in 2003 at the age of 53. Honestly, guys, I am just so shocked at the level of rage and violence these girls exhibited against a poor 12-year-old. Oh, it's horrible. Um, don't forget that I will have some video clips and footage of the girls and the crime on Storytime Slayers, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.